in order for the hope of Chronicles to be true, mm. you had to have a demolishing of the temple in some way. Yeah, right. You had yes. to have the demolishing of a centralized structure Yeah. so that all people in all nations could truly be the center of God's act of forgiveness yeah. and power and guidance. Right. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible is about him. In each episode, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everybody to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing our walk through the book of Chronicles today. This is our third episode. That's right. In this series um, so far, I think in the first episode, we kind of looked at the whole theme That's that right. ties it together. Uh, it was, we need God's king from the line of David mm -hmm. to center Israel around God's priests in order that there might be peace on every side. That's right. We looked at the paradigmatic example of that in the last episode of David building David. that kingdom around a priesthood. Yeah. And today we will look at that kingdom in full flower in the, Solomon. The idealized version. The idealized version. We got the build up of that kingdom, the preparation for that kingdom, mm -hmm. and that kingdom comes full force in the reign of Solomon. Yes. And importantly, this is Hebrew literature we're dealing with. And a lot of times in more Western stories, we put some of the most important things that we want to highlight at the beginning and ends of stories. Yeah. Hebrews put it right in the middle. Yeah. And so the, the it's, it, they form these little chiasms, these mountains. Yeah. And you want to go to the center of a piece of Hebrew literature to find mm -hmm. the summit, the main yeah. point, the highest peak. Yeah. And um, what we get when we go there in Chronicles is we get Solomon. That's right. So where we left off last week, we had King David galvanizing a nationwide bureaucracy yep. in order to hand off a well-organized kingdom that was centered around the priest, listening to the voice of God, mm -hmm. to his son, Solomon, that God had promised might be a king forever That's right. in this kingdom and would bring peace on every side. And so he yeah. hands off the reins of his kingdom to Solomon. Solomon's anointed as king. What happens? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to start this episode with like uh, a little bit of a disclaimer Ooh. too, because we said this back in the very first episode mm. that this is an idealized history yeah. or a selective history to make the point that we've already said, like it's a, a selective history yeah. to prove that when God's king, yeah. the son of David centers his life around the priesthood, centers the kingdom around the priesthood there's rest and peace and prosperity. Right. So we're going to come to the reign of Solomon, which everybody knows, including the chronicler, was not the best king. <laughs> right. So like, I think that's a people's problem. Sometimes when they come to the book of Chronicles, mm. if they ever get this far in their Bibles, or like if they're like, if they're really faithful to read the, the Bible, they're like, oh, why are there none of the thousands of wives that Solomon right. has? Why are, why is none of that here? Where's all his shady political dealings? Yeah. Where's him becoming like Pharaoh in Egypt? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So none of that's in this story. Okay. Uh, Solomon is the only character in the entire book of Chronicles to receive no critiques mm. from God. 
despite the fact that we know of pretty severe critiques in the book of First Kings yeah. uh, of Solomon and his reign. Yeah. So I wanted to say a disclaimer up front because it makes me uncomfortable when I read it. Mm. Because at one point in the story, Solomon has 156,000 slaves of the foreigners in the country. And it's like, and that's kind of portrayed as a positive thing in the story. I'm like, how do I get past that yeah. fact uh, when I'm reading this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is uncomfortable. So do you have yeah. any, I was like, wonder if you, that would prompt any questions in you as I say that out loud. I mean, I have, uh, you and I have talked at length about, about this, yeah. that Solomon is such a mixed bag, even in the King's account, mm-hmm. that it, it, at one moment he's amazing. And you're like, your jaws on the floor at how he's wanting to follow Torah, wanting to seek God's guidance. And you're like, this is amazing. And then the next minute he's, it seems like he's just Pharaoh on steroids and he's yeah. terrible. Yeah. And the way he's treated in the Bible is also a bit of a mixed bag. And so mm-hmm. we've often talked about the yeah. dual character of Solomon. Um, so I think just because he's already playing that role mm-hmm. in even other books of the Bible that aren't trying to be as idealized, um, I think I can kind of you, get there ready for it. literarily yeah. with him here being like, Okay, we all know Solomon's a mixed bag. Let me strip out one side of it to show you yeah. this other side to make a point. And everyone knows he's doing that. I think that's right. I think that another disclaimer might be that people might think like, "Oh man, are the authors of Scripture playing fast and loose with history?" Like, right? That's it, right. Well, you got to know what they're doing. Number one, and you got to know their audience. Their yeah. audience knows the exploits of Solomon. That's right. They, they, he can't. They hide don't it. want to repeat those failures either. Right. Yeah. And so he's trying to highlight his. Um, his good characteristics, not to save face for Solomon. That's definitely not his point. His point is, as we've talked about, to paint an idealized version for yeah. his people to follow in and long for and shoot for. Right. So, no, I don't have any okay. other big problems with that. Uh, great. Knowing that I have a long past of having problems with Solomon. Yeah. So, for this moment. <laughs> yes, well, great. Then, then we're ready to move forward. Great. So David has done everything within his power mm-hmm. to hand over a functioning kingdom ready to be activated by his son. Yeah. Solomon gets in power, and the first thing he does as the ideal king of Israel is he goes to the tabernacle in Gibeon and offers sacrifices and prays to God. Okay. The very first thing he does in his kingdom, he asks God for guidance. Yeah. He goes to the place where he can meet God. That's right. It's the same place that David went. That's right. Okay. So he goes there, asks God for guidance, and what happens? And he asks God for wisdom. Okay. So is this the famous story where God was like, ask me for anything, and I'll give it to you? Is that part... Also in Chronicles? That's parts in Chronicles too. Is it similar to the King's account? It's almost identical. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would that would definitely be to the chronicler's benefit for his main point. Right, which is a son of David yeah. asking God for guidance. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the first thing Solomon does. It's the perfect story. And what's what escalates in this in this version. So mm. we've had David asking God for guidance and like, go do this military battle in this way. This is like just a blanket request for guidance mm. for wisdom. Yeah, I want. Wi- I'm an immature man who's been inherited a kingdom. My father has set up a bureaucracy of hundreds of thousands of individuals, um, and I just got inherited it all. Mm. God, I don't have uh, the the experience to do this. I need your wisdom. That is really interesting. It, he's doing something unique here theologically. It seems okay that David always had to go and find out. God's wisdom about a particular subject. 
Yeah. They had to go and seek, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Solomon seems to be asking for an indwelling wisdom. Yeah, that is interesting. Right, that, that the wisdom different. that you could only go get in the tent mm-hmm. would come and dwell in him. Yeah. Which is obviously a, a, a foreshadowing of yes. a lot of prophecies and a lot yes. of things that Jesus accomplishes. Uh, but that's like a pretty significant development theologically. Yeah, I haven't thought about it that way, but yes, that's right. I mean, I'm like trying to think of like other ancient Near Eastern religions and like that would be a far cry from the way that they would see yeah. temples and the the will and the knowledge of their gods that it would be given to them to act on. Yeah, we've talked in the past about like how the whole Torah is an expression of God's character, how he intends the world to run. Right. So Solomon is asking, to your credit, for an indwelling and abiding sense of how the world should operate according to God's principles. Yeah. He's asking functionally for the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. He's that asking the, for... That the Torah would be inscribed on his heart. That's right. That's what he's asking yeah. for. And so God is very impressed by this request, yeah. and he grants him wisdom unlike any king in history. Yeah. Can I, one more yes. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I'm kind of blown away by that. It's like, I think it's always seen as... Uh, this humble request, mm-hmm. right? Like Solomon could have asked for the moon mm-hmm. and gotten it. That's right. Uh, I don't know where you'd put the moon in Israel, but you know he could ask for it. <laughs> the tides would be shot. The tides. But, um, <laughs> but it, it's like the the way that the story is shaping. It's like, oh, it's not necessarily that it was just a humble request that he didn't ask for the moon or for riches. He asked for wisdom. It's that he is aligning himself with the main point of the book. That's He's right. aligning himself with the way God wants his kings to operate, mm-hmm. and God honors that. Yeah, he comes to God for guidance at the place where sacrifices are offered. Mm-hmm. And in that request for wisdom, God gives him not only his request for guidance, but he says all the things you didn't ask for too. Yeah. Horses and right. victories and wealth and prosperity. Yeah. All that will be yours by virtue of you coming to the place of sacrifice. Right. And asking for guidance. I can see why the chronicler would want to create an idealized Solomon. Yes. Because he just nails the paradigm. He does. He just nails the paradigm. And he's like, let me show you mm-hmm. what actually did happen. Yes. And let me strip out the things that'll make it confusing. Right. To just show you clearly. He, he nailed the paradigm and look what happened. God bless yes. him. And then the first thing he does after mm-hmm. receiving all this wisdom, fulfilling the paradigm, is he centralizes the priesthood by beginning to build the temple. I see, because right. the the, the, the pieces were set. The resources mm-hmm. were brought in for the temple. Mm-hmm. The Levites had been selected. The organization, the bureaucracy had been set up. That's right. And he takes it a step further by... Actually doing it. Building the capital. God promised that he would do it. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, God, let's get to work. Yeah. How, uh, do you know how... Do we know how old Solomon was? We don't know, but one thing that David does say multiple times during his own leadership is that his son is immature. Mm. And he's anticipating his son's immaturity by the time he takes the throne, which is why he builds such an elaborate government for him. At one point, David even appoints mentors for all of his sons. And they're like counselors to help raise his sons for him because Mm. he's trying to make sure that his son is ready to take over the kingdom. Anyway, he's immature. We don't know how old he is as far as I understand. Cool. Okay. So Solomon comes back, starts building the temple. Yeah. Brings the priests and the bureaucracy all around it. What happens? Well, the first thing he does is he, as much as his father David has prepared for him, there are some things still yet to be purchased, acquired. Okay. And what he does is he goes to Hiram, king of Tyre. 
and he makes a trading relationship with him, which sounds like, okay, whatever. A right. trading relationship with Hiram King of Tyre. He is a Gentile. Yeah. And one of the first things he says is that the God of Israel is the true God of the world. The Gentile says this. <laughs> the Gentile says this. Verse 11, then Hiram, the king of Tyre, answered in a letter that he sent to Solomon, because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Mm. The kingdom of Solomon is an expression of God's love. And then he says, Hiram also said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth, who has given King David a wise son, who has discretion and understanding, and who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. Oh my goodness. So yeah, as soon as the paradigm is nailed, as soon as the son of David starts centering the nation around the priests, the peace on every side thing starts happening in that the Gentiles are mm. proclaiming faith in Israel's God. That's right. That's cool. Yeah, Tyre, the king of Hiram, he, or Hiram, the king of Tyre, <laughs> he starts trading with Solomon and giving him all the supplies for the temple. And one of the most significant contributions Hiram gives to Solomon is a man named Hurim. H-U-R-M, not H-I-R-M. It's, it's a weird spelling. Okay. And depending on your translation, it might actually be spelled the same. Either way, he is basically an expert craftsman. Hmm. And he's half Jew, half Gentile. And he's basically responsible for designing all the architectural details and all the decorative elements inside the temple. That is too ironic. <laughs> Why? Oh, man. I mean, the temple is the become, you know, throughout time becomes the place where Gentiles are not allowed. That's right. Like Paul went to That's prison right. over this thing. Mm -hmm. And yet it was designed by a half Jew, half Gentile representing international multi-ethnic access to God. <clears throat> and yet it becomes a place of division, yet it was built by someone who is unified. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And this is goes to like the weird part. Okay. Where at one point we're told that, you know, 156,000 foreign slaves are conscripted yeah. to build the temple. Yeah, that one hurts. But symbolically, mm -hmm. it also represents the Gentiles building the temple of God. I understand. The holy place of yeah, God. Yeah, so yeah. It, the Chronicles is pretty silent about whether or not that was a good thing. Kings kind of makes it more explicit right. that the, the uh, conscripting of foreign slaves was Solomon acting like Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Here, it seems to be cast in light of like, this seems as if... The nations are coming to Israel. The nations are the one building the temple. They're centering themselves around yeah. God's priestly order and presence. Right. So it's yeah. it's a, it's a kind of an uncomfortable moment. And I think it's an ironic truth, even in Kings, that it's like... That's right. It's like, okay, he's bringing in the nations, but as slaves. And it's like this half good, half bad thing. Yeah. And the chronicler is trying to get us to see the, the ironic good right. side of it. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, Solomon gets critiqued for that in other books. But yes. here it's a symbol of the fact that the whole world is now revolving around the priesthood when the king of Israel revolves himself around the priesthood. Yep. So Solomon then builds the temple. He activates those 156,000 employees. Mm -hmm. He builds the temple, puts inside the temple the... 36,000 priests, the 4,000 uh, musicians. He activates the bureaucracy and he brings in the Ark of the Covenant finally from its resting place into the temple complex that he just built. Dang. Because David had brought it from its place out there in the sticks. Yep. It, to the center of his powers, he understood it. Yep. Uh, but now we have a place for it to live inside the, the temple of God. Okay. Uh, before we, I just have a really random trivia question. Okay. Do we know what happened to the tent during this time? Did it just oh. stay out there? Does it ever get addressed again? I don't know what happened to okay. the tent. Um, totally. 
we're like, un- yeah unrelated. like yeah as i said in a couple episodes ago the place where sacrifices are supposed to be offered are the place where god decides right places his name yep and so one of the significant events that's about to take place here is that god will place his name yep. in jerusalem yeah in this temple and when he does that the tabernacle becomes just another tent right because yes. it wasn't about itself it was oh that's the place god named yes but now he's gonna name this place that's right okay cool so the ark comes in the singers all gather around and solomon prays Mm. he prays for what's about to happen and he gives his vision for what the kingdom should be like now that the temple is built Mm. and he has this seven part prayer uh kind of like mirroring the creation of the world Mm -hmm. like the garden of eden like so seven days like this is a new beginning for right. God's people. Yes. Uh, the temple, I, I mean, there's so many details we could talk about. The temple is filled with garden images. It's filled with pomegranates and yeah. trees and the colors of Eden. It's full of water. Like Eden was a well-watered place. There's all this symbolism yeah. there. Like Solomon, the king who listens to God's voice, the nations have come to build mm. the priesthood for God's people. And the ark, his presence is there. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, we've got, we come back to Eden. Yeah, totally. So what should we do now that Eden's been rebuilt? And he has a seven-part prayer okay. to like to to explain to his people, to Israel, okay. what What's, Eden looks like. So the prayer is also kind of like a, a sermon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. Cool. That's right. Yeah, I've heard some preachers do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's whole sermons in this prayer. I know. It's, it's the worst. <laughs> okay, so what's the message uh, of this prayer then? Basically, anytime Israel sins... Yeah. Any times they do wrong, anytime there's a famine in the land or war comes about, the point is they can turn towards the temple. Okay, so what is the message of this sermonic prayer? Uh, the message of the prayer is that if anyone in Israel ever sins, mm-hmm. if there's ever a famine in the land, if there is ever an enemy that comes up to attack Israel, all Israel needs to do is turn towards the temple, mm. ask God for help, and God will provide it. Okay. Which is this, again, the central point of the book of yep. Chronicles, when God's kings, but the whole nation turns towards the temple, centers itself on asking God for guidance. Mm. God provides. Yeah. God provides it. I am uh, i don't know why it took me so long to hear this. I mean, two episodes ago, we beat you know, yes, this yes, theme yes. to death about... The, the, like the center. I love beating a theme to death. Oh, yeah, why not? <laughs> of just like the priest being at the center, and it's all about listening to God's voice for mm-hmm. guidance and asking for forgiveness of sins. And I'm mm-hmm. like, there's something behind that even, mm-hmm. which is it seems like God's heart is he wants to be depended on. Mm. Right? Yeah. It's like there are two main needs we have as humans, and I'm not talking about like eating and shelter. Yeah, yeah. But like spiritually, psychologically, mm-hmm. there are main needs we have. It's like, what am I doing? Yeah. Right, and how do I deal with all my like when when I oh. when I don't do it right? Yeah, what am yeah. I doing? What what happens when I don't do it yeah. right? And God's like, depend on me, mm-hmm. look to me, and I'm just like, that's so interesting. The heart of God, I'm starting to see yeah. through all the weeds of Chronicles. I'm just like, I didn't just mean to call a book of the Bible weeds. That was bad. <laughs> um, we called it a black hole. In the first <laughs> okay, episode, yeah, I so. guess I guess we've done worse. Um, but I'm just like. This hasn't. This is, I'm not trying to advance the argument. I'm sorry, but uh, it's like there's just this heart of God that I'm just seeing. Yeah, that Solomon, that Solomon's prayer is just depend on the Lord. He the very first, not the very first, but whenever Israel's in Egypt, one of the first things we're told about God is that He hears their cries hmm. in that story. Yeah, and that's always been the heart of God is yeah. that He hears the cries of His people. So cry to me. So cry to me. Right. And now you have a a permanent structure. Yeah. 
a center of your entire nation built around calling out for help and the guarantee of my provision. Yeah, like that's, that's I just I don't know why it's just now hitting my heart after all <laughs> after hours of talking. There's proof of like you have to use the, the you good do news more than once. But I'm just like, hit home. man, I'm just I I just can see God's heart for me in this, mm -hmm. and it's like David. Yeah, when you're wondering about direction. Right when you yes. when you want guidance, don't try to just figure it out by yourself. Don't take a sinful census like we talked yeah. about in the last episode. Just ask. Yeah. Turn to me and ask. Uh, when, when you feel guilty yeah. and ashamed and unworthy, don't try to justify yourself or stack up good works to self placate. Mm -hmm. Just look to me. Yeah. That's what I want you to center your life around is dependence on yeah. me. Whenever Solomon makes his prayer and God responds to his prayer mm -hmm. by bathing the temple in fire. That sounds bad. Uh, it's it's a good thing. It's, oh, okay. it's, <laughs> it's the same thing that happened at the tabernacle in the wilderness when God's yes. presence rested on it. It's like, it's a symbol. My presence is here now. Yeah, and the smoke filled the... Yeah, 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 yeah the tabernacle. Yeah. Um, all the priests sing a song mm. in response okay. to this moment. And the song is the steadfast love. God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let's go. That's the one word summary of what it means to have a temple at the center of your country. Was it God is good? God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. I mean, come on. Uh, that, that's what you're that's what you're saying. Anybody yeah. who says the Old Testament God is mean and <laughs> yeah. come here. Yeah, like this is the center come of on. Israel. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Um, so, okay, hold on. We just said something that's really significant that happens. He says this prayer. And the message is depend on God. Mm -hmm. Anytime something goes wrong, anytime we're sin, turn to him, depend on him, seek him for guidance and forgiveness. And then God responds with his goodness and his steadfast love by dropping fire from heaven. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, and where's the fire? Does the fire consume an offering like it did earlier it in Exodus? Yeah, it consumes a burnt offering. Burnt offering, all, all, yeah. And, and the sacrifice that was made right there. Because that happened uh, to inaugurate the first tabernacle. Mm -hmm. They they set out the burnt offering mm -hmm. and God's fire came and, and lit the the altar and that was the fire they were meant to tend and keep burning. That's right. Yeah. And now he's done it again. He's done it again. Which is like probably important. Right. Because people are like, wait, that was the place that God God's, definitely ordained. God's endorsing this place yes. as his seat of power in Israel, his the place of sacrifice for his people to come to. He's yeah. like, this is his endorsement of what's happening. Yeah, and his and the smoke of his presence fills the temple. In this one, just fire that just, fills. Is that kings? And that's uh, that might be kings. Okay, um, but yeah, crazy. And then the priests sing. Okay. The center, the center again. What's the center of that chiasm? Hmm. Uh, at the, in the genealogy, at the very center, the, the singing priests. The singing priests. And so, as God's presence falls, the high point, the highest of the high points in Solomon's hmm. reign, is when the priests start singing that God's love endures forever, oh. uh, that He is good, and He's faithful. And it's interesting. It's like the the last time I think we probably heard of something enduring forever, it was David's line. That that's right. And okay. when God promises David an eternal covenant in First Chronicles seventeen verse thirteen, He says, "I shall be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And I will not take my steadfast love from him, oh. as I took it from him who was before you. Mm. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever." There you go. So the fact that Solomon has built the house is proof of God's eternal steadfast love yes. to David's son. The singers are reaffirming God's covenant to David. That's right. And naming that it's built on his love. That's right. 
that's dope. And it, it to, to just heighten it a little bit more when Go. when uh, David is praying his seven part prayer. Yeah, you know what his or Solomon uh, Solomon Solomon is praying his seven part prayer. The last line hmm. of his prayer is chapter six, verse forty two. Oh Lord God, do not turn away the face of your of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. Ah. Immediately, fire falls. Whoa. He remembers his love. He affirmed the temple has been built. His presence there. The endorsement has come. Steadfast love of the Lord proven in the moment he's asked for it, which goes back to the main point of the book. Yep. When God's people, when God's king center themselves around the priesthood, they're given rest. Yeah. They're given the goodness of God. Permission to make a quantum leap. Okay. Uh, permission granted? Permission granted. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I just can't help myself with this. Please. These are one of those moments where it's like, if I don't talk about it now, I'm going to die. <laughs> Acts 2. Yeah. Right? When this happens again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fire, fire falls from heaven. That's and right. Flaming tongues of fire falls from heaven. And the new temple is made because it's God's people. But then once they start, you know, once Peter starts giving his first sermon. Yeah. Who does he keep talking about? King David. Oh, yeah. All he talks about is David. That's David, right. David, David, David. That's right. That's and it's right. like, why? He's doing the same thing Solomon did. Yes. He's saying that the fire falling on the mm-hmm. apostles and uh, there in Jerusalem in, in Acts 2 is a fulfillment of God's steadfast, enduring love mm-hmm. for David. That's right. That is just That's cool. cool. That's super cool. So it happens at least three times. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. It happens in Exodus. It happens in Chronicles. And it happens yep. in Acts. The beginning of God's church. The beginning yeah. of God's yeah, yeah kingdom on earth. Yeah. Uh, as a f- and then in yeah in in this case it's a fulfillment of God's steadfast love to David. Cool. That, that's so cool. Okay. I hadn't thought about that. That's anyway. really cool. Yeah. The falling of the Holy Spirit is the ultimate is the next line of fulfillment after yeah. this moment right so here. So cool. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Quantum leap back into Chronicles. Yes. Here we go. So okay, it's done. The yeah. temple is up and running. So they start offering sacrifices uh, for the first time. And then we get a summary list of all of Solomon's accomplishments during his reign. So, are, uh, so yeah. are these are these sacrifices um, like sacrifices of dedication, like the first yes, sacrifices? That's that, right. Oh, okay, dedication. Great. It's not like sin sacrifices. These are dedication uh, sacrifices. Yeah, it's just, as far as I understand, dedication yeah, sacrifices. Purifying, cleansing the space. Just, that's right. Just like what happened with the first tabernacle. Yeah, there's like a 14-day feast for everybody. It's a big deal. Dope. It's a big deal. I'm go to that party. Uh, and that 14-day feast will actually come up again later. In the oh, book, so okay. Good to good to pause there. A fortnight feast. A, a fortnight long feast. Mm. So after okay. this moment, we get a summary list of all of Solomon's accomplishments. Okay. And this goes back to this idea that now, when David brought the ark into Jerusalem, it was followed by a series of military victories. Yeah. Now the ark has been brought in. It's the temples in Jerusalem. So we expect another string of military victories. Right. Instead, what we get is the bending of the other nations to Solomon. Mm. And Solomon begins to take over the nations without ever launching a military campaign. The, the peace. The, the, it's peace on every side through peace. Through wisdom. Through wisdom. And yes. the, the example of this is the Queen of Sheba. Oh, She right. comes up and visits Solomon, impressed by his wisdom, mm. admits that God is the, the God of Israel is the only God in the entire world. And she mm-hmm. converts the queen of, uh, uh, of Sheba converts to the God of Israel Whoa. and the nations start folding in and becoming and being blessed by the fact that Solomon is on the throne, which can we just name in this time period, that kind of thing didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. This was like, a like yeah. God's grew in influence through imperialism and mm-hmm. through co- military conquest. That's right. 
but I don't, I, in my knowledge, which is super limited. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it's it's nevertheless amazing is mm -hmm. this idea that without lifting a finger, without threat of violence, yeah. without a show of force, people are being pulled in by the steadfast love of God. Yes. That was cool. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. The, so his accomplishments, Solomon's accomplishments. And the crowning me, jewel of that accomplishment oh, okay. is the nations coming yes. in and blessing and affirming that God is the God of Israel. Mm. And so this is what happens yeah. in the chronicler's mind right. when a king of David centers Israel around a temple. Yep. We fulfill our national purpose as it was promised to Abraham. Mm. We become a nation through which all nations are blessed. Which is exactly what happens in Acts 1 and 2. That's right. Right? I'll make uh, you yeah. my ambassadors, you know, uh, my witnesses into the ends of the earth. Yes. And there they go. The fire falls. They talk about the fulfillment of King David and yeah. they go to the nations. That's right. And nations come to Jesus. That's right. Super cool. So if you are a Jew rebuilding the nation after you come home from exile. Right. Which is who the Chronicle was writing to. Right. This is like, okay, I get why we would want to reinstitute, mm. refocus, find the line of, reforge the line of David and to refocus our efforts on building the temple right we see what's possible when mm. god's kings are focused on god's priests and the priesthood yeah man that's amazing is there anything else in your mind about this idealized kingdom of solomon that is pushing us to the gospel you said i think the acts 2 connection is not a connection i made but that's mm. like okay where does this happen now? It happens in Acts 2 and yeah. in the global church. Right. Like the nations are coming to commit themselves to God, to mm. give all their gifts to God's kingdom through the administration of churches around the world, yeah. through wise believers in Jesus who are listening to the voice of God in their local congregations. Yeah. When people do that, people are safe. The yeah. nations come to know God. Right. I mean, we see examples of that happening in Jesus's ministry, mm -hmm. in the Acts of the Apostles. Mm -hmm. I remember, I think about Paul being like, should I go to Jerusalem? And like, he That's gets right. prophetic words in Ephesus. And That's right. He's trying to be a good priest, like yeah. listening to God's voice on how to go about this mission mm -hmm. as he goes to the nations. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, yeah. I'm just like, man, for, for us today, you know, like, right. This idea of listening to God's voice as we go out on a mission, leaning on him for forgiveness. I'm thinking more like, I keep thinking not individually, but institutionally. Sure. I mean, yeah. We're, this is a manual for governmental leaders in, Israel, in a new generation of Israel's right. rebuilding, right? Yep. It's like, functionally then, what does it mean to build churches mm -hmm. around the twin centers of asking for God's guidance? Mm-hmm and the forgiveness offered in the cross. Right. What does it mean to build organizations around those two facts? Right. You don't need to get too complicated. Mm. David built like a 200,000 person administration, <laughs> but like every time you gather together, you have the bread and the, the blood, right? the bread and the wine. The forgiveness. The forgiveness, Yeah. right? right. You sing songs every time you get together, yes. uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> you that affirm uh, God's steadfast love. And that's right. Ask for him to speak. Every sermon ends and is about Jesus. Right. What should our churches look like? They should look like that, mm, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like on a very basic, basic level, level. This yes. is giving us a, a liturgical blueprint Oof. for how the church should always be throughout yeah. all time. And the hope that when a church focuses on Christ, mm. focuses on the center of his forgiveness, the world comes to know him. Right. This basic liturgy. Yeah. Man, what an encouragement to churches 
large and small, right? Multi-campus yeah. and house church. That's right. You know, is it's not programmatic. Yeah. It's liturgical. Yes. Success yes. isn't yes. programmatic. That's it's right. liturgical. Build upon these centers, right, of listen to the voice of the Lord and and build a community around forgiveness mm -hmm. and the nations will come. Yeah. Queen of Sheba will knock on your door. That's right. <laughs> that's really cool. That's right. Okay. And I think that's really hopeful because mm. I, I think I've shared this story on the podcast multiple times, but yeah. when you start trying to build something on how clever you are, how funny you are, how gifted you are as a speaker, you're always wondering if you knocked it out of the park. Did I do enough? Was Did it I do good enough? this time? Am I going to spend multiple hours like crying myself to sleep again? Because I don't know if I was... Faithful, I met the expectations right. that I set up for myself. Yeah. Well, this says, it's like, oh, there's a really decent rubric. Did you preach about the good news and forgiveness found in Jesus? Mm. Did you explain God's word? Right. Oh, did you sing about the goodness and love of God? Oh, you're done for the day. Yeah. Go enter into your rest. Go rest. <laughs> like, that's go make all, peace on every side. There's not like, there's obviously a lot of stuff to worry about, but yeah. like, the task is completed in yeah. large part when these things are done. It's a wise way to live and lead. Yes. Yeah, that's really good. Now can I be a downer? Yes, please. All right. I love... It. <laughs> How does the rest of Chronicles ruin this paradise? Uh, paradise. The uh, the rest of Chronicles shows us the ways the rest of the kings of Israel's history failed to live up to this paradigm. It's like yes, they failed the paradigm, but when kings to differing degrees failed to emphasize the rulership of the king of David, uh, the son of David, or failed to listen to God's voice, their kingdoms rose and fell along those two rubrics, along mm. those two paths. Right. So to the extent to which you reject the king is the extent to which you experience self-sabotage and right. suicide. Mm -hmm. The extent to which you fail to listen to God's voice is the extent to which you experience failure and a lack of prosperity right. and, and warfare. Yeah. And the rest of the book is proving that point. 30 mm. chapters, the, the 30 more chapters of that. Mm. The most boring part of the book is the next 30 chapters in some ways. Yeah, I bet people would argue with you about that. Yeah, because <laughs> because it's like, oh, these are all the stories of wars and battles and right. Hezekiah and yep. Josiah. Oh, my gosh, these are the cool guys. But right. I'm finally out of the genealogy. But I was constantly surprised by the literary beauty of genealogies and the right. surprising turns that these things are taking. But every story fall, from this point on falls a very predictable pattern. Mm. If you de-emphasize a son of David or de-emphasize asking for God's voice. You're done. You're done. You die. <laughs> right. That's the rest of the story. Yeah. Uh, so it like it's heartbreakingly repetitive mm. uh, to read the rest of the story. And is and, and what's the what's the point there? Is the is the chronicler like, well, I gotta finish chronicling the rest of Israel's history and I've got to fit it into my rubric, you know. Right. And so it's sorry it's boring. Or is he doing something with that repetition? I think he's being a good teacher. Mm. He's making it abundantly clear that his point plays out across hundreds of years of history. Mm. Right? It's like no oh, one escapes the paradigm. No one escapes the paradigm. All of Israel's kings failed or succeeded based on these two categories. Mm. Let me prove it to you over and over and over again. Yeah. So, new generation of kings, are you going to listen to me? Are you going to follow, are you going to find a son of David and focus the kingdom around the temple or mm. around the priesthood? 
because I've showed you pretty convincingly that what happens when you fail to do those things. I think you mentioned to me this to me off air. There's a there's a famous verse in Chronicles about turning oh. to the Lord and yeah, 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 yeah. things going well, and it, that seems to be I think you said like a summary of the whole book. And yeah, it's uh, this is right after fire falls from heaven and the temple is established. Oh, okay. And so Saul, we're, so Saul, we're still in the peak of the mountain. Still the peak of the mountain, and this is in chapter seven. So Solomon has done all this, and Solomon goes to sleep that night. He rests. Good peace on every side. Uh, and as he's resting. God comes to him in a dream or in a vision, and he speaks to Solomon. Whoa. And God says to Solomon, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Is he repeating his prayer back to him? Basically. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. He is answering his prayer. He, he says, is. God, when these things happen, if we turn to you, please hear and grant us forgiveness. And mm -hmm. then he wakes him up in the middle of the night and says, I will. Yeah. He's saying that, that's what will happen. That's cool. That's what will happen for you. I want to answer to prayer like that. I know, right? <laughs> uh, and then he also gives a warning. Oh, good. But, Sounds like Torah. 19, verse 19. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that mm -hmm. I've set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I'll pluck you up from the land that I gave you. And this house that I have cons consecrated for my name. I'll destroy the temple. Yep. I'll take you, Israel away from you. I'll cast you out of my sight and you'll become a proverb, a, uh, mm. a, a, a byword, a mock, uh, a joke among the nations. Uh, and this has that which was exalted. Uh, mm. Well, people will be astonished by. Look how far they've fallen. Yeah, man. That's, a, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm like, wow. I mean, he's repeating Torah. Mm -hmm. He's answering his prayer. Yep. And he is summing up the whole point of chronicles yep and uh prophesying or prophesying yeah they, the, summarizing what's going to happen next in their history that's right yeah so if my people were called by my my name turn to what was it humble themselves, humble themselves. And pray and seek my face pray so listen to for my voice yep turn from their wicked ways and then i will hear from heaven and i will mm. forgive their sins and i'll hear their land Oh, so, so what's interesting there is the two things we've talked about, mm -hmm. about seeking God's guidance yes, and building around forgiveness. Mm -hmm. God just marries. That's right. And he That's says, right. when you seek me for guidance, I'll forgive you. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. He yes. just collides yes. them. That's right. They that's overlap in the temple. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's why the, the uh, king must center yeah. Israel around the temple and the priesthood. That's really cool. Okay. And yeah, so so then as you said, the rest of the book of Chronicles ends up showing how this doesn't happen. People don't turn mm -hmm. their face. Some people do. Some people, yeah. So we have positive and negative examples okay. throughout the whole. Is it um, even? Is one weighted? Um, like? I mean, it ends with Israel in exile. Yeah. So it ends with <laughs> decreasing obedience over generations. There are some hot. So some highlights. There's some highlights, but eventually the obedience of a few kings is mm. not enough to overturn a nation's worth of yeah. sin and iniquity. Right. And they are sent into exile. It's helpful to name this as the center of God's will for Israel because it makes idolatry all the worse, which is the chief sin that comes right. in because idolatry is trusting in another God for guidance. Yeah. It's another, I thought of an issue. I was like, I hadn't thought about it this way, but we keep saying like a king must center Israel mm -hmm. around the priesthood right. and around God's forgiveness of sins and his guidance. Mm -hmm. Idolatry is the decentering yes. 
of asking God for guidance. It's introducing another place to ask another God for yep. guidance, right. another way to atone for your sins. It's decentering what God has promised will work for his people. Right. I mean, that's exactly what happens in, in the divided kingdom, that's right? The kingdom divides and, so, and the southern kingdom keeps worshiping Yahweh. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So Solomon's son takes yeah. the throne, Rehoboam. Yeah. And he's not as wise as his father. Nope. And he wants to make the slaves that his father had conscripted work even harder under worse conditions. Right. And there is a revolt. And Jeroboam, mm -hmm. a man from Egypt, uh, comes to undo the slavery of Israel. It's a reverse exodus. Yes. Um, and Jeroboam leads in a whole group of people out of Judah in Jerusalem into the north and divides the kingdom in two. Right. And so what's happening right here? You have Jeroboam rejecting the kingship of the son of David. Right. And what happens? The country's immediately divided. Yep. It's an immediate consequence. You have someone who rejects the king of David. God's people are immediately divided. Yep. And the first thing he does is he sets up a different system of sacrifice and right. forgiveness. He sets up two golden calves. Yep. And fascinating. You know what the consequence for this is? No. So as I said, there's immediate consequences yeah. generally throughout the book. The immediate consequence of Jeroboam rejecting David mm -hmm. and decentering, replacing the forgiveness of God mm -hmm. is to just be written out of Israel's history entirely. What do you mean? In the book of First Kings, you bounce between a record of kings in the north and kings in the south. Okay. So you get a record of these tribes of Israel in the north did this. These tribes of Israel in the south did this. And the divided oh. kingdom fought in this way. Yeah, and yeah, these yeah. kings went bad in the north this way. And these kings of the south went bad this way. The book of Chronicles, they just disappear. You only get a Judah record. You Southern only kingdom. get a record of Judah. I did not know that. The only time the northern kingdom shows up is when they are in direct conflict with Judah. Oh, so they just sound like the nations at that point. Exactly right. Oh, that's rough. So the consequence <laughs> for failing to emphasize the son of David or... God's priesthood is to no longer be considered part of God's people. The power of the pen, man. Right? Isn't that pretty powerful? Wrote them out of the book. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. Yeah. Man. And then, you a know. literary consequence. And then the last time we hear about uh, the northern tribe of Israel that created, the re rejected the kingship of David and rejected um, the temple is King Ahab. Yeah. And you know how he dies? Uh, no, I can't remember. He dies by a stray arrow. Oh, yes. Because he fails to listen to the voice of God. Because God's like, hey, if you go out there, you're going to die. He's like, no, I'm going to dress up as a different person. They won't know it's right. me. I'm going to stay in the back of the army. But I'm going to totally sidestep this right. prophecy. And then a stray arrow loose right. accidentally kills him in battle. <laughs> and do you remember who else died by a stray arrow? Saul. King Saul. Ah. So the first king of Israel, the United Kingdom of Israel, yes. died by a stray arrow because he failed to listen to God. Ahab the king of northern Israel, died because he fails to listen uh, to the voice of God. And then you know how the last good king, the southern kingdom of Judah, dies? No. His name is Josiah. He comes to power when he is just eight years old. Right. And he institutes all these amazing reforms. Yeah. Israel, after hundreds of years of idolatry, he cleanses all the Rediscovers from, the law. Rediscovers the law. He reinstitutes Passover. Right. We're told that there hasn't been a Passover or a celebration of God's forgiveness and freedom like this since the days of Samuel. Oh, my goodness. And then at the very, very end of his life, after all these great things, mm. we're told a story that we're not told in the book of Kings. Oh, okay. And a prophet from Egypt, mm. no less, comes up and tells Josiah a word from the Lord. And Josiah doesn't listen. Mm. And instead, 
a stray arrow flies from a battle, hits him in the armor, and he dies. Like Saul. Like Saul, like, like Ahab. Ahab. Good grief. Every single king who fails to listen to the voice of the Lord is immediately killed in the exact same way. What do you do with that? Uh, you listen to the voice of the Lord. <laughs> you you put singing priests in the middle of your country and you listen to every word they say. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. But why? But the stray arrow thing. Oh. What do you do with that? I think the stray arrow is supposed to be like a nod to the fact that even though these are all like political maneuverings, they're wars with Syria or Phil- Philistia mm-hmm. or whatever. A stray arrow? It seems more like God sending the arrow than yes. Philistia or Syria is. Right. God is punishing these these kings yeah. through the happenstance and thing and the right. situations of their own making. Right. Their failure to listen created these problems, and then mm. that thing pierces them in their own heart. They don't trust God's guidance, and so God shows them how far His guidance goes. Yeah. It can guide a stray arrow. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Dang. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So, um, I, all the kings of of Israel end with stray arrows. That's the, right. The first king, the last king of northern Israel, the last king of southern Israel, mm-hmm. they all die by stray arrows, showing the ultimate guidance of the Lord that they failed to obey. Mm-hmm. Do we have a, 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 a the story of exile in Chronicles? So yeah. So what happens after Josiah dies is that Egypt kind of takes over Israel. Uh, again, another Exodus, which is funny, just to throw more details at you. Yeah. Just after the dual good reigns of uh, David and Solomon, uh-huh. you have this conflict in which you have a reverse Exodus, and you have a man from Egypt coming and separating the 12 tribes from each other. Rehoboam, Jeroboam. That's right. Yep. Here we have Hezekiah, Josiah, two kings, and now another Egyptian comes and takes over Israel. Do you see see the parallels I'm making? I think so. Basically, the exodus, like the the slavery of Egypt is happening over and over again. When Israel, it happens. So now Israel's being put back under the thumb of an evil empire. Yeah, that's right. That's the idea. That's the idea. I understand. That's the idea. Okay. Yes. So Israel's taken over by Egypt and a series of puppet kings is put in place. Right. um, Until finally one day um, Babylon comes along. Mm Mm-hmm destroys Jerusalem, takes away its land, exiles its people, and burns the temple to the ground, mm-hmm. fulfilling the prophecy that uh, God spoke to Solomon in the dream. Right. If you fail to do these things. I'll take the temple away. I'll take the temple away. And that's almost the end of the story. Right. Okay. Um, so let's just pause there for a second. Okay. You're uh, part of a new generation trying to rebuild Israel, mm-hmm. and you get to the end of this tragic history in which God's people fail to listen to God's guidance and it sends them to exile. Yeah. And you're kind of like, okay, I know this story. <laughs> yeah. Right. You, I know this story. I know how we got here. Right. And what the, 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 the innovation is that they fail to have a King of David focus their right on the King of David mm. and they failed to prioritize the temple. So right. that that's there. Yep. The crazy thing at the very end of the book of Chronicles is that we're introduced to a new King, mm. the Persian King Cyrus. Yeah. And Cyrus claims that God has spoken to him, Mm. that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he then sends Israel back to rebuild their temple. If Israel won't listen to God, a Persian king will. Right. And really weirdly, this Persian king is acting like David. Mm, How? He's prioritizing the priesthood of Israel. 
Oh, because he because he sends he sends Israel back specifically to, to rebuild, rebuild their the temple. temple. Yeah, that's what these he's like. I want to rule my kingdom well, and I recognize the success of my kingdom <laughs> is dependent on whether or not you build your temple. Hmm. So even though he's not from Israel, even though he's a Gentile, right. he recognizes the truth that Israel's own kings failed to recognize. Mm. If you're a new generation of leaders trying to rebuild Israel, mm -hmm. do you really want to be out-faithfuled and out-listened to God by your Gentile overlord? Definitely not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it also offers like a weird little bit of hope too. It's like, mm. even if there is no son of David on the throne, mm. I can raise up sons of David from the nations. Mm. Uh, right. Watch out, John the Baptist. Right. Yeah. Um, so like there's like layers here. It's like it's an yeah. indictment of an Israel who failed to prioritize their temple. But it's also a hope. But it's also a hope mm. that even if there isn't a king at the moment of David, God's yeah. people can still prioritize Gosh. the temple. But like, man, why? Right. Because of God's steadfast love. Because God's that steadfast never love. Ends. That's right. Like, That's exactly right. There's literally no hope. God still right. has steadfast love. Yes. And uh, then think about, and so we've said this a couple different times, but these words, let me just read it to you. Yeah. Cyrus, king of Persia, says this The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever's among you of all of his people, may the Lord, his God, be with him and let him go up and do this task. Mm. Just notice how similar this is <laughs> to the way that Jesus, that Matthew ends his gospel. Yeah. Um, and the last words of Jesus, mm -hmm. he's, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Cyrus said, uh, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. <laughs> um, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He says, go and build me a house at, at Jerusalem. And what does the house at Jerusalem mean? What is a temple? It's the center of God's teaching. It's the mm. center of God's guidance. It's the center of God, the identification of God's people. Yeah. That's what baptism is. And then Jesus says, mm. I, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And what does Cyrus say? May the Lord... His God be with, be with them. them. Be with them. Go. <laughs> Jesus understands he is quoting a pagan mm. king. He is commissioning his Jewish disciples, but to go into all the world and make temples yeah. throughout all the world. And what's crazier too is that Paul will pick up the same logic in mm. Romans 11, which is a weird place to go. But, at, but after the Jesus movement gets started, Gentiles start to outnumber right. Jewish believers in Jesus. Yeah. And the Gentiles are starting to be the ones who are going back to Jerusalem to tell them about Jesus. Right. What is that a picture of? It's a, a picture of Cyrus. Oh, yes. And what does Paul say? He says, like, the hope is that the inclusion of unnatural people. That's right. Like will make Gentiles. the Jews jealous. And and make them do the make them follow Jesus the Messiah. <laughs> right. So <laughs> Which, like Cyrus was doing that. That's for exactly Israel. right. That's I exactly see. right. I see. Okay. Uh, so there's even hope for like yeah. our Jewish brothers and sisters who don't not, not yet believe in Jesus. Right. That through people like us, some Goyims over here in right. Oklahoma, <laughs> that they might one day like, come to Jesus. <laughs> these guys love our God. It's like we really do. Yeah. We do love we your do. God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah.
Man, what else? Man, I I'm <laughs> I just want <laughs> I'll take anything you got. But we've also got we've also covered a lot of ground. Again, I keep thinking about the way like the call of Cyrus to go and rebuild a temple, mm-hmm. and then Jesus' call to go and make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. In one sense, that's an individual task. Go talk to your neighbors. Sure. Right. But in other senses, that's like an institutional task. Right. You need Jesus wasn't talking to one person when he said that. Right. Right. He's talking to his the, body. The founder of his, of his church. Right. That's exactly yeah. right. And so just even like, I think the reason I kept harping on bureaucracy mm. was just to kind of redeem those moments in scripture. Like, why yeah. do I need to read the names of the leaders of 24,000 priests? Right. It's because they represent a movement of God in the world. Mm. Right? Yeah. No, it's um, good. And like, it's really boring to read an org chart of right. some organizations that's translated <laughs> 10,000 Bibles into Korean or... Swahili or yeah. Iranian, but I'm like, that's part of the movement of the kingdom of God of the world. Yeah, Those long, long lists prove something of the faithfulness of somebody along the line. Right. And what's possible when God's people center their own lives around the instruction and guidance of God and the forgiveness offered in him. Yeah. I mean, it's good news. Yeah, it's good news. It's good news. <laughs> it's good news. This has been fun. I've really enjoyed yeah. Chronicles. Um, I think besides the insane parallels between the Jesus movement in the New Testament yes. and Chronicles, and it makes sense. It's like, it's the last book in the Hebrew Old Testament. That's right. Like That's right. They get to the end of it. They're like, where's the next part of our story? Right. And, and they're just, they just map it all on. Yeah. So I just love seeing that. But then... Um, just seeing that our our Jesus movement that we're in, right? The the kingdom of God that you and I get to be a part of yes. of being priests in. Yeah. That it's centered around listening to God's voice and um and focusing on forgiveness through sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, 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 just, I hit a nerve. I just thought of something. Okay. All throughout Chronicles, the kings are supposed to centralize the priesthood. Yeah, right. Which only ever meant centralizing one clan. Oh, the Levites. The Levites. Right. Now King Jesus, the son of David, is on the throne. How does he centralize the priesthood? By placing his spirit on everyone. Oh, yes. His temple resides in not just one clan, yeah. but all peoples of all nations. Right. For Jesus to properly centralize the priesthood. He had to it, decentralize it. He had to decentralize it, and he had to democratize his spirit and place it inside everyone right. who claim, follows him and claims allegiance to the God of Israel. Yeah, he had to make everybody get the fulfillment of Solomon's prayer for wisdom. Yes. That the indwelling wisdom yes. that Solomon asked for to govern and facilitate God's kingdom on earth would be in every single believer, yes. not one king in one place for one clan. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It's, so it's like in order for the hope of Chronicles to be true, mm. you had to have a demolishing of the temple in some way. Yeah, right. You had yes. to have the demolishing of a centralized structure Yeah. so that all people in all nations could truly be the center of God's active forgiveness yeah. and power and guidance. Right. So all of us who have come to the new temple in Jesus have yeah. been given this Holy Spirit fire Yes. Has fallen on us. Yes. We've been granted the wisdom of Solomon to govern. So go, therefore, <laughs> into all nations, <laughs> baptizing people and teaching them about the guidance of Jesus. <laughs> so good. That's really good. Well, that's Chronicles, yeah? Yeah, that's At Chronicles. Least that's our whack that's, that's That's as far as we're going. There we go. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us in our yes, walk through Chronicles. It's been awesome. Thank you, Seth 
And thank you, Christine, for all the work that you guys have poured into understanding this book and communicating it. We so appreciate you guys. I know all of you all listening uh, appreciate all the work. Uh, thanks for teaching me and bringing me along this journey. It's been really fun. And uh, we'll see you guys in our next book. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next time.